chaka uka 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 chaka uka 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 chaka uka 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 chaka uka uka I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me When you hold me in your arms so tight You let me know everything's alright Hey there, welcome uh, to MCU Complete Me. It's the podcast where we discuss every movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and decide if they're good or bad. It's me, Crystal, and me is Luke. You hit me at hey, but Crystal, you sound very, uh, very down this week. Well, Luke, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I did too. Uh-huh. It's a real bummer of a film. I, okay, hold on. I, I guess we're just jumping right in. I'm not... This is not an amazing movie. You have... Good up for so many worse movies than this. It's a dog shit film. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you if you took a dog and you took him outside to go poop poop, <laughs> you would poop out a Guardians of the Galaxy DVD. Okay, all right. What? Oh, mm. this this movie's fine. Like it's it's at at minimum on par with Thor two, and it's I think it's better than Thor two. Hey Luke. Yeah. I'm sitting here right now completely willing to give this movie a D. <laughs> Maybe you can talk me up, you know. I, this is that the, might happen. We have stepped through into the negative world where I'm I've got the more <laughs> positive opinion than you do. Yeah. I don't think this movie's fantastic, but I'm like, eh, it's alright. It's fine. I you know, it's it's an action movie. It's just well, the action's actually not all that good, but it's got mm. it's got a handful of funny quips. Um, yeah, visually a fine film. Visually a fine film. I like some of the, you know, I like its take. Oh man, this is so, we're just diving in in a way that we normally don't. I'm I'm all, I'm all discombobulated. Oh, well, okay, I guess before we dive in, Luke, I have one very important question for you. What's up? Oh, okay. Uh, what all is up? Well, that Spider-Man game came out. That's a fun game. Uh That's, that's a, that's a quality product based on the Marvel Comics universe. A lot of open world games coming out yeah, again. Yeah, that that tends to happen this time of year. But that's 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 a pretty good one of those. I need to finish it. I just keep doing bullshit side stuff. And I'm like, nah, I should probably wrap that story up, web that story up even. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also watched just a a lot of Twin Peaks, Crystal. Oh yeah, I never finished that. Oh no, never. Like what? What do you mean? Like what have you seen? I got to up to episode 14 of The Return. Oh, wow. Okay, you picked you picked a bad point to tap out at. Well, okay. <laughs> like, the next two episodes are probably the best ones? Well, that's something to look forward to. I guess so. You should get around to finishing it. It's, it's, it's really something. I'll say, about Guardians of the Galaxy, after watching... Because I had not seen any of the old Twin Peaks before... And I'd been kind of making my way through it, and I finally, I'd kind of hit the, like, the slump in the second season that everyone talks about, and I was like, eh. So in the past week, I, like, just powered through that, watched all of Firewalk with me, the whole movie, <laughs> watched all of it, uh, and then I watched all of The Return. And after watching, like, well over 20 hours of David Lynch movie stuff, uh, going back and watching, like, a very straightforward, by-the-book 
like action adventure movie was weird. What were you talking about, Luke? This is like the <laughs> an unprecedented. How could anyone expect this movie to have been a success? It has a raccoon in it. <laughs> Crystal, let me ask you, what's your relationship with this movie? Uh, you know, I saw it in the theaters, didn't much care for it. Okay. I, I would say my opinion upon this rewatch was more positive. Okay, yeah. But previously, and we'll see how this holds up, previously I considered this to be the worst film in the MCU until <laughs> Infinity War, which is the new worst. That is the most ridiculous thing you've ever said on this podcast. Uh, why? Because <laughs> this movie is fine. Like, it's not yeah, especially okay. good, but it's... It's whatever. Uh, I did not see this movie in theaters, because I've not seen any of them in theaters since, like, Iron Man 1, or the Hulk or something. Uh, I saw it on TV a decent chunk of time after it came out, because everyone always talked about it, how, it, oh, it's the fun, quirky one, it's different, and fun, it's fun, and funny, and it's fun! And I watched it, and I was like, yeah, it was alright, I guess. And then... Yeah, this time, the dude quips in a different way. And then, a few hours ago, I put it on again to watch for this, and I said, Yeah, this is alright, I guess. And that's... That's really the... The... The bottle encapsulation of my feelings about this movie. Well, look, let's get into it. How do we start off this fun, rollicking space adventure? Oh, we start off this fun, rollicking space adventure with a kid in a hospital waiting room because his mom's dying of cancer or something. Uh, now, Luke, how do you feel about this whole, uh, subplot? Uh, I like it. I feel like I'm walking into a trap where I'm gonna, for once, be positive, and then you're gonna explain why it's awful, and I'm gonna feel bad for liking it. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna go so far as to say you should feel bad for liking it. <laughs> okay, you know, sure. If it connects with you, it connects with you. It's, it's definitely very, um, rote. They're, they are not doing anything terribly original in any of any of this movie, really. I might use the word exploitative. Um, emotionally manipulative. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a kid who's got a sick mom, and he's sad about it. Like, it's, it's not irrelevant to the movie. It gets brought up again, but it feels such a departure from what 99% of this movie is. And, like... You could have weaved it in better, I think. Yeah, you could have weaved it in better, you're right, because there's not... You definitely get the sense that Peter has this, like... He still, you know, very deeply misses his mom, and, you know, there th that is sort of woven in, in that so much of the soundtrack is needle drops based on the mixtape she made him, but they don't really... You're right that they don't make that a more explicit part of his character arc. He's just kind of a fun jackass for most of the movie. And, you know, unless his tape recorder goes missing or whatever. One of my fundamental problems with this movie is that Peter Quill is the main character when I think this really should have yeah. been more of an ensemble film. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Especially uh, since Gamora and Drax have, like, way more connection to the main plot. More connection to the main plot and more of, like, an emotional arc through the movie. Like, we're gonna get into it later, but the, all the stuff with Thanos in this movie, I don't like. Oh yeah, Thanos sucks. <laughs> and part of that is just because we don't have, like, like the point-of-view character is not directly involved in that, and we get little snippets of, like, Gamora, and what's her sister's name? Nebula? Nebula. Yeah. Like, we get snippets of that, but it's mostly just, like, it, it is, it's a lot of tell-don't-show, and it's just hard to, like, care all that much. 
and that, especially when it comes to Ronan, like he's 100% telling and not showing everything. Ronan is maybe the worst villain they've done in any of these movies. I, I would say so, yes. Uh, I'm, I don't know, uh, hmm, Naughty Keith is pretty bad. They are on a similar wavelength. I don't know, at, at least Naughty Keith has better aesthetics. I guess I'm honestly even having a hard time remembering what Naughty Keith looked like. At least Ronan has those gross black teeth. Yeah, but the whole first third of this movie is a lot of, like, clunky exposition, jumping around from place to place, and, like, barely getting to understand a status quo before it radically shifts. Yeah, it's weird because this movie in some ways feels like it moves a little faster than it needs to to make you buy into all these connections. Like, by the end of this movie, Quill's gonna talk about how he doesn't have a family, and Gamora's gonna be like, yes, you do. And it's like, what? No, how do we get there? That does not feel like you have been, like, together long enough for that to be how you feel about each other. And I think they could have gotten there in two hours if they spent a little more time on members of the team that are not Peter Jason Quill. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I, th- I think you're identifying flaws in this movie that, that I agree with. I guess they just maybe don't bother me as much as they bother you for once. So Peter Quill, his, he's got like a black eye and his mom's like, what you've been fighting with the other kids for? Yeah, because Peter Quill's they, a little... they done killed a frog. <laughs> what? I was going to say, Peter Quill's just a little, he's a little uh, scruffy little rascal. He's got yeah, that black eye. They but... done killed a frog, they ain't done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, some other boys at school killed a frog, and he got in a fight with them, and they, they punched him good. And uh, his mom talks about how his grandpa, who, who's there with him, is going to take really good care of him until his dad comes back. And wow, he, he just reminds her so much of uh, his dad, because he was like an angel full of light. Uh, whatever. Um, and she gives him a present. And then she wants him to hold her hand, and he gets scared and runs away. Yeah, well, he runs dying. away after she dies. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he takes the little gift box, and he runs out of the hospital, and he gets sucked up by a big spaceship. And that's the that's the prologue of this film. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's definitely very cliche, and it's not, you know, whatever, but... I don't know, it's it's well acted enough, and it gives you a little sense of, like, Peter's inner, you know emotional state throughout the rest of the movie you're i don't know it's it's fine my my feeling about this entire movie is hey, it's fine Luke, see this is exactly like when i told you that you know thor thor has an arc he's like conflicted about like his role about whether he wants to be king and take that responsibility on himself and you're like right. oh, i don't care sure well and it's not like I-, I am not saying that you know in every scene of this movie i'm thinking about how peter is just Oh, this guy who loved his mom, but she died, and he didn't even manage to hold her hand at the end of her life, and that's informing every moment on screen. Like, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying, like, I don't know, it's it's a very cheap shortcut to making me feel empathy for this character, and I recognize that it's cheap, but, you know, it's, for what it is, it's, again, it's, it's fine. I don't know. So, we cut 26 years later. Yes. In the Andromeda Galaxy, 2014, on yeah, the planet yeah. Morag. Yeah. And, Peter Cole's uh, all grown up now. He's all grown up. He's got a cool red duster, and he's got a cool space helmet. And uh, he's got a device that can, like, show you images of the past? I thought you were going to say he's got a device that can read magnetic tape and turn it into sound waves. 
Just this fantastical science fiction device that can turn cassettes into music. Okay, well, like, what is this flashlight he has that shows the past? Wait, yeah, let me let me see what you're talking about here. Uh, I guess I just kind of thought, oh, it's some kind of scanner. I don't know. Because it is, is it showing the past? Oh, I guess it is kind of showing the past. Right, right? it's showing, like, yeah. there used to be a civilization here or something. There's a girl and a dog. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. It's like it, it's cool, but it doesn't come up again. It does not come up again, and yeah, it's just kind of, I guess, kind of cool looking. I don't know. Um, at some point during all this, and I've got it muted, so I don't remember if it's already happened. But he he turns that cassette player on, and it's it's he's got he's got like classic pop songs, and that's this movie's gimmick is it's gonna have a lot of needle drops in it. Yeah, that's classic pop songs from yep. the late '60s and '70s and early '80s. There was a part of me that was like, the whole idea is that this is a mixtape his mom made for him, and this is all the music she loved, and like that's his connection back to her. His mom has got some pretty basic ass taste. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a good mixtape. It's fine, but it's like it's all just like every like like top forty hit from that era is just what's on here. It's no like. I don't know. It just seems like it's not very personalized. I don't know. Okay. It just seemed weird to me that, like... Nice diss on Meredith Quill. <laughs> it just Damn, seems you, weird, you like... Sure showed her. Wow, whenever I hear the Pina Colada song, I just think of my mom. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> so, you know, Peter Quill's had some character development, whereas before, he, defend, he defended that poor innocent frog. Oh, that's now true. Now he's just kicking around a bunch of these animals. Right. Uh, yeah, there's, like, these weird little lizards on this planet that he's just running around kicking in time with the music. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, that shows how much of a hardened outlaw he's become. Right. He's He is no longer a defender of the animals like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> He is now an animal abuser, like Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> ah, great. Uh-huh. But yeah, he's he's just dancing through, like, this ancient, dilapidated temple, kicking frogs and using his jet boots to fly around, and eventually he gets into this sacred chamber with a, you know, fancy orb on it, and he uses some... Crystal, I feel like you're really... You're already getting really disinvested in talking about this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he picks a lock, he goes into a chamber, he yeah. has a little plasma ball that lights up the chamber, Yeah, and he does a little Indiana Jones thing. Yeah. Before, even though he wouldn't have, well, I, yeah, he would have seen that movie, yes, he would have. Yeah, he would have. It, it is, like, literally the shot from Indiana Jones, where it's, like, the camera's behind the mystic pedestal, and, like, you see his face past the artifact, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it puts a little thing on the ground that grabs the ball like a magnet, so he doesn't have to touch it. Right. But then, Luke, Korath the Pursuer, and his Sakarian soldiers confronts Peter Quill. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they have a conversation. Peter's like, oh, my name's Peter Quill, but you might know me by another name. The Star-Lord. And the dude's just like... Who? Yes, I was like... I was fine with this moment, and then they have him go, Who? And, like, you know, you you overplayed the joke, guys. Like, it should have just been, like, a flat expression, like, no reaction, and have him be bummed by that. Uh, but, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, this gonna do, have a lot of overplayed jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he's just gonna fight his way out of here. There's a chase scene. I do, like, there's a bit yeah, he where he... He kicks the ball and melts the Sicarians. Yeah, that's a real dangerous flashlight. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't really put that together when I was watching it earlier, but yeah, he just uses his little flashlight ball to murder two people. 
But then Korath blows a hole in the wall, and then he puts on his jetpack and jetpacks all the way out of there. Right. And it's cool visuals. I like this planet, this little muddy rain fight. Yeah, I like this bit. I like how he uses the the treasure magnet thing to, like, stick a bunch of the bad guys to, to it. That's... Yeah, it shows he's a clever, roguish type. Yeah, exactly. A real exactly. Han Solo-like, uh, mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. like Al the Killer. <laughs> of the Amory Wars, of course. Right. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, he he hops in his ship, the Milano. It's called the Milano. The ship? It's the Milano. <laughs> right, named after Alyssa Milano. Oh, is that what it is? All right, sure. Yes. And he flies away, uh, successfully, and does a bunch of cool maneuvers through water and geysers and shit, and then... It turns out that he had some hot alien babe down in his quarters. And, right, and he's, this he's is, trying yeah. to emulate uh, his favorite TV idol, James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have seen Captain Picard. That's true, that's true. Uh, but yeah, they have a little exchange where he like can't remember her name and tells her that he forgot she was even on the ship. And, you know, that's how you know this guy's a real sleazebag, but in kind of a cool way that you probably want to be, right? Right. So in the morning, they're playing some exposition over the radio that, oh, the the Kree and the Zandarians have signed a peace treaty. Yeah. And their long war has at last come to a close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Peter gets a call from his 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 mentor, Yondu. He's like, where the fuck are you? Don't mind if You're Yondu. You're supposed to come to this planet and get this orb together. Uh, Yeah, and yeah, Peter tells him that he got here first, so he just decided to get it for them. But also, he's not going to give it to him, he's just going to go sell it. And that doesn't make Yondu happy at all. Yeah, Yondu tries to guilt him by saying, you know, when I picked you up, these boys, they wanted to eat you. They never tasted Terran before. Yondu is a blue alien man who talks like he's from the bayou. I love Yondu's my favorite guardian. Yeah. <laughs> he's completely different from the comics, but I like him. What, what's he like in the comics? He's like, uh, he, he's uh, modeled in the style of a Native American. Oh, okay. He's got a bow and an arrow. Right. He doesn't and have he, a weird... They adapt that by having him having a psychic arrow. Yeah, his weird whistle needle. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. He's like, he has a lot more stuff in the second movie. Okay. Which is yeah. better than this one. I have not seen it, so yeah. I guess I guess we'll find out. Uh, but yeah, uh, Yondu gets mad and tells uh, his, his bounty, or not bounty hunter crew, his like, you know, crime buddies to uh, put out a hit on Peter. So now we cut to the dark aster, which is shaped kind of like a chromosome. Oh, yeah, and if I you guess. look at the coordinates, it translates to, this is mom's cancer. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. I see the this is part. How does the mom's... What? Well, M is the 13th letter in the language. What? Okay, I'm starting to hate this movie. I'm starting to get on your side. Oh, yeah? Why is this turning? <laughs> because that's the dumbest thing. But, like, are they trying to... What? <laughs> right, so it's like when he confronts this chromosome, like the chromosome that messed up the replication of his mom's neural cells. Uh- it's it's like he confronts his, his mom's death. Fuck off! <laughs> right, they didn't they didn't have time to actually weave it into the movie, so they did it. They this just way. did it a little title card that is meaningless. Also, is... when they get to nowhere, the coordinates for nowhere translate to uh, mom's ex. Oh, Meredith Quill's ex. What? Because her ex is a celestial. Right. That's that one I'm less mad about than the idea that they're trying to draw a line between the bad guy's spaceship and the cancer that killed his mom. Like that one's that one sounds like a fun Easter egg. This one sounds like dumb bullshit. Uh anyway, 
Well, this is our introduction to Ronan, the accuser. He's a he's a bloomin'. He is a bloomin'. Big hammer. He likes to sleep in goop. Yeah, he doesn't like the peace treaty. He wants to destroy the Zandarian culture. Right. He says that like everyone is calling him a terrorist and a religious zealot because he is obeying the old laws that uh, that like according to those that the justice that needs to happen is he has to kill off all the Zandarians because they've killed a bunch of his ancestors. And like at this point in the movie, I was like. Did did Ronan have like something going on with him that I just didn't remember at all, or that or that they just don't weave in well enough? Because okay, like this well, is Luke, a motivation. They said it on the radio, so they've established it. Well, not, I'm not talking about like the stakes of the war or whatever. I'm saying with Ronan specifically, where like he's got this like vendetta against the Zandarian people for like at this point, it almost sounds like maybe the Cree are like um an oppressed people by the Zandarians. But I don't. I think it's more like not one-sided. I don't know. They don't they explain it very well, Luke, because they have to show Peter kicking animals. They, yeah, they they don't really explain the stakes of the the big space conflict in this movie very well, and I don't understand it. I I don't understand if Ronan is just like like are are there people in this world that think Ronan is a hero? I mean, I guess he has followers. He's got followers, and that one ambassador from the Kree, like, says, like, fuck off when they ask him to do something about Ronan. Right, because they establish all this very quickly, but, so what's happening is, there was a war. Ronan was in it. Right. There's a peace treaty now. Ronan says, I'm gonna continue the war anyway. Right. And then the Kree Empire says, well, he's we disavowed him, so he's not our problem. Right, yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, he has a bunch of, like, space nuns throwing dust on him. Yeah, there's these, like, people on a ship sitting in chairs interacting with these holographic balls that are always just sitting there doing this, even when there's, like, a fight going on around them. <laughs> I, I like that detail. Yeah, he's got some dude that he's just grumpy at, and he smashes his head in with a hammer. Right, we, the Zandarian culture is a disease. Yeah, but, like, they never explain why. He, he's, he, they're the other side, Luke. Right, like, they don't do anything to, like, make me care about this part at all. Right. He's, he's just a bad guy. He's just a capital B, bad, capital G guy. Would you say that Malika has a better established motivation? By, like, a hair. Like, they are, they are in the same ballpark. They're both just I'm, mad at the other, at the good guy, like, society. Well, I mean, you know what Malekith's about. He doesn't like the light. <laughs> yeah, and Ronan doesn't like the Zandarians. Right. So they're about equal, yeah. So. They both have one weird, like, henchman guy. They both use an infinity stone to try and kill the other race of people. They're basically the same villain. Sure. Except Ronan's okay. got a hammer. So Ronan says he's working for Thanos. He's got to retrieve the orb, and then Thanos will destroy Xandar for him. And yep, and I'm like, I don't really care, buddy. Right? There's, there's, this is like a whole complicated setup here where his henchmen aren't working for him; they're working for Thanos. Yeah. And Thanos has lured them out to him so that he can get the orb. So then Thanos will destroy Xandar. Yeah. Uh huh. I don't. Thanos really doesn't need to be in this movie. No. It's it's not good. Um and yeah, so, Nebula offers to like go and or no, he tells Nebula to go get the orb for him. Uh and then Gamora says like, "Hey, fuck that. I'll go get the orb because I've been to to Zan Xanadu." Uh 
Nebby says, I'm at the order of Thanos, just like you. Yeah. And then uh, they send Gamora, and my thought at that point was, why not just send both of them? This orb yeah, seems real point. important to your plan. Maybe just send two people. Yeah. But no, they just send Gamora. Um, who, the deadliest woman in the galaxy. Yeah, she's she's the green lady. And uh, that is really all we've got for characterization for her so far. Right. Like, so one of the first things both Gamora and Quill do in this movie is, like, betray the people they're working with. Right. But then we, like, there's no, because we never see them working with them in the first place, it, like, doesn't hit at all. I think it sort of hits with Quill, but it not as strong as it could, and it does not hit at all with Gamora. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all a little sloppy, for sure. Uh, but then we get to Xandar, and it's, like, it's, it's the Citadel for Mass Effect, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Rocket, who is a raccoon man, and Groot, who is a tree man, are scanning people to rob. And Rocket's making fun of some children and Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah, he calls Stan Lee a prevert. Uh, yeah, R- Rocket's thing is he's very sarcastic and a little grumpy. Yeah, he's a very grumpy puppy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Groot's thing is he's drinking fountain water. It's disgusting. Yeah, uh-huh. But then, uh, I guess Rocket switches his little iPad thing over to look for bounty targets to get. Right. And it just so happens he manages to find Peter Quill, who's got the bounty that Yondu put on him. He consistently refers to Quill as a Humie. Oh, does he? Okay, yeah. There's yeah. some weird terminology in this movie. Like, they never say Earth or human, they say Terran. Except they do say Earth once or twice. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, in the final scene when they're, like, showing Quill that he's not human, he goes, like, I'm not Terran. And the, like, governor lady is like, no, your mother was from Earth, but your father was. Like, it's, I don't know. Yeah, Terran is the dumbest term in the universe. I can respect the idea that you're... Can you? Well, no, well, let me finish my thought. Okay. (laughs) I understand the impulse, let's say, that if this is an alien society, it doesn't make sense that they would give Earth the same name that the people on Earth gave it. But, okay, Terran still... Right. <laughs> right. But that gets into a weird thing with this movie, too, where they have a lot of jokes where Peter makes, like, pop culture references that no one gets. But then, also, you have aliens using a lot of human idioms and, like, references and ways that, like, well, hold on, I- I- I'm fine with that, if that's just how it works, but also, that's not how it works in some scenes, and I don't understand the rules for how pop culture works in the alien world. Right. I mean, I guess it's like, they all speak English, right. they all use American idioms, but they haven't seen any movies. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, I assume, I assume it is just a, uh, you know, they don't want to have everyone talk in gibberish that they subtitle, like, maybe that, I, I can buy that they're not literally speaking English, you know? I mean, they seem to be literally speaking English. Maybe it's just a really well-localized film, I don't know. Like, that's fine, I'm okay with... Like, just everyone speaks English. Right. Like, actual English, not not universal translators. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fine either way. Like, that that's, a, that's the kind of thing people complain about. And I'm just saying, like, it's, for me, I feel like on some subconscious level that I'm not thinking about, I just assume that's a, a device the film is using. Because, again, having everyone speak alien gibberish and subtitling it would be obnoxious. But it doesn't really matter either way. So Quill tries to sell the orb to a broker man who has good makeup. Yeah. 
but he he mentions the name Ronan, and the broker's like, "Oh, okay, I don't want anything to do with this." Yeah, he will not buy it if if Ronan is the one that wants it. Um, so he just kind of shoves the orb back in Peter's hand and pushes him out the door, and Gamora is waiting for him on the other side. Now, Luke, what kind of strategy does the ultimate assassin, the <laughs> woman in the galaxy, have to take this orb? Uh, she just kind of strikes up a conversation and then just grabs it and runs. Yeah, everyone in this scene looks like a complete chump. They do, and, like, that would be fine if they don't play up Gamora so much. Right. Like, I would be totally, like, that's kind of what this movie's supposed to be, right? Is that it's all these chumps that, like, turn into unlikely heroes, but... You've you've talked Gamora up too much for her thing to just be like, hey, how's it going? Go to grab your thing. No, they haven't even talked up Gamora yet. They After this scene, they'll say she's the deadliest woman in the galaxy. Yeah, well, I mean, she was in a spooky room at the right hand of a scary bad guy. That even, like, already, this seems like too, like, low rent of a plan for her to be using. Yeah, like, her plan sucks. Rocket's plan of, we're just gonna kidnap someone in broad daylight? In this planet of super cops, like, where all the cops are headquartered. <laughs> right? Yeah, it doesn't seem very bright. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And Rocket, like, th- he doesn't get more of an introduction than this. I will say, I do like that their means of capturing their, like, target is that Groot just has a giant burlap sack to stuff them in. That's very right. funny, honestly. <laughs> that might be my favorite joke in this whole movie, that he's just got a big old sack. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they all just, it turns into a big old fight between all of them. They're tussling right out in the middle of the street, and, uh, all of them end up getting arrested. And sent straight to prison without trial. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Definitely, we don't get a lot of look into Xandarian society, but does seem like it's a fascist police state. Right, it's, it's fascist versus fascists. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even know that, like, uh, the Kree are fascists, because we don't see them at all. I just know that Rodan's... Right, uh, they don't even get into that in this movie, yeah. but yes, they are. Oh, are they? I okay. mean, they mentioned they're an empire, and they are, okay. like, okay. highly militaristic. Yeah, I just say, if, if you miss that one throwaway line of news, and you're just looking at it, it's like, well, Ronan has very extreme methods, but these are, these do seem to just be Nazis. Right, lots of, lots of context just given in, like, throwaway lines of news. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, and I think the argument that people in favor of this movie would make is that, eh, who cares? It doesn't really matter. The This movie is about, like, the fun, like, character building between the, the core cast. And just, like, just it, it's got a rote plot line that doesn't isn't that interesting because that's just background. And, you know, there's something to that, but you gotta, you gotta do better than this. Uh, Nova Prime, played by Glenn Close, talks with the Kree ambassador, says, you gotta at least, like, put out a public statement saying you denounce Ronan. Yeah. And the ambassador's like, no, fuck off. Right. Which, that doesn't, that, that's, I feel like that's not asking a lot. No, it does not seem, uh, like it's asking a lot for this government that you have a tenuous peace with to at least just publicly disavow the terrorist. There, hmm, there's a weird background interaction here where, like, the the other woman in the scene who is not Glenn Close is making, like, bedroom eyes at this guy. Wait, really? Hold on. Like, I don't know. How, what's your interpretation of her expression? I, I'm, I'm looking through this scene to see what woman you're talking about. 
He's like on on a data pad, and there's a br- uh, brunette woman. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. He, she does. It's like a very short shot, but she does look like she's very much into the dude that's bringing in the news. Yeah, I don't know. That's just a weird thing I caught. Yeah, no, you're right. That's odd. Well, it's time for some more clunky exposition, Luke. Yep, mm-hmm, because, yeah, this guy has come into the room to report that they have captured uh, one of Ronan's uh, henchmen, Gamora. And this is, like like you said, this is where we get uh, her backstory. Because when you get checked into prison, some guy just reads your backstory, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's... Maybe this is, like, their, their version of a trial, and the guy who's not John C. Riley is the judge? <laughs> sure. So they established that Gamora is uh, the adopted daughter of Thanos. She's been surgically modified and gone through intense training to be the deadliest woman in the galaxy. And she's on loan to Ronan for unknown reasons. Right. Yeah, she, she's a living weapon, which is, which is a phrase they're going to use repeatedly to refer to her. And then we get to... That's the Iron Fist thing. Okay, sure. Uh, then he just moves right along to Subject 89P13, which calls itself Rocket. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know. He It was a raccoon they did a bunch of experiments on. What's a raccoon? Right. That's a, you know, that's an okay joke later when Rocket doesn't know what a raccoon is. Uh, Groots. I feel like I sound way more positive about this movie at points, because I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. Other points, I'm just like, yeah, this sucks. But, I don't know. I feel like I, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, hey, funny joke. Like, no, it's, it's fine. It's smirk. Maybe has some fine jokes. It's smirk-worthy. Some smirk-worthy jokes. Anyway, yeah, then we learn about Groot. He's a humanoid plant that uh, is is Rocket's muscle. And then, yeah, Peter Peter Quill. Peter Jason Quill from Terra. Yeah. Raised from youth by a band of mercenaries called the Ravagers, led by Yondu Yudanta. Uh, and yeah, while, while he's reading Peter's thing, Peter's, like, doing a thing where he's turning an imaginary crank to make his middle finger go up. I'm sorry, I didn't know how this machine worked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it cuts to the kiln, the high security prison. What's this? What's these coordinates translate to? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it'd be like, what's, what's, well, let's, let's find out. Let's see. Uh, M20HI1991942 plus 0185112. That, that, yeah, uh huh. Mm, all right. it, it looks like it might just be random time. Because it's like A-I-I-A-I-A-D. Yeah, I don't know. Some of these are based on real coordinates in the Andromeda galaxy. Oh, okay. And some of them are my mom's cancer. Yes. <sighs> so they're in the kiln. They're all being marched their cells. Rocket explains he's escaped 22 prisons, so this isn't going to be a big deal. Right. Just stick with me, kid, and you'll get out. Yeah. Uh, this is where uh, Groot keeps saying I am Groot, and Peter's getting annoyed at him, and they... Hmm, they are very clearly and obviously conveying through dialogue that Groot can only say, I am Groot. And then Rocket says, ah, he can't talk very good. He can only say, I am Groot. Like, no, I got that. I understood that already. He says the word vocabulosity. That's funny. He does say vocabulosity. Uh-huh. Uh, for no real reason, Gamora explains that she was trying to betray Thanos when she was stealing the orb because she was going to sell it. Not really sure why she's talking to them, even. Well, she might need them to get out. I guess. Yeah, it just seemed like, again, like like I was saying, like at the end of this movie, they're talking about how they're a family. 
they just seem to move, they, they skip steps in establishing the relationships of these characters where, well, now all of a sudden Gamora is like on, you know, uneasy but amicable terms with them where she's having a conversation, she's explaining her motivations like, wait, what What happened? Why? Why? You were trying to like just rob this man and now you're just chatting with him. I don't, I don't like, I don't know. Well, I think the point of this whole sequence is that like, because they've all gone to prison together and they kind of they're the only other ones they know. Right. They kind of need to rely on each other to escape. So they need to get to know each other a little bit. Sure. I but think, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yes, yeah. they definitely become a family way too fast. Yeah, like, I, I, I'm i fine with that being the thing that initially forces them to come together. But they, again, it just feels like they're skipping steps in getting them to that point. There needed to be, like, a scene of them mad at each other. And then they kind of just slowly, you know, cool their jets. So we go into the prison, there's a scene of, a a heartbreaking scene of a woman, like, crying as she watches a hologram of her family, and she knows she'll never see them again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, One of the prison guards is, like, listening to the the Walkman. Yeah, and Peter Quill's like, hey, give me that, and then he gets tased. Right, he gets really upset about it in a way that, like, you know, hey, it's important to him because it was his mom's. You know, that's what's going on. Everyone in the prison is threatened to kill Gamora because they all hate Ronan, and she's working for Ronan. Right. Yeah. So I guess she's like infamous. Everyone knows her. Uh, sure. Yeah. She has. She has a rep. Like it seems like this war between the Kree and the Zandarians has had a very serious effect on this world. That right. Is uh, only ever like demonstrated through implication. Right, Ronan, Ronan mentions that it's been going on for a thousand years. Right, and there's characters that, like, are mad, like, are survivors of of battles or massacres that have all this baggage, and you do not see any of that war. That no. is, like, the background of this entire story. No. It's, it's just, yeah, it doesn't click together right. Because I don't want to, it doesn't need to be, like, a fucking war movie, but if you're going to talk this much about that war and have so many characters whose motivations are based on that war, you should probably make me care about the war a little bit. Well, Luke, are you ready? For, re- ready for what? The first gay representation in the MCU. Oh, uh, well... It's the it's the first, in the movies at least. Well, let me ask you this. Is it the first gay representation or the first vor representation? Because I feel like you could read it either way, and... Eh, you're right, it's a, it's a bad joke. <laughs> I'm gonna slather you up. Uh, oh, I didn't get the line. He says some kind of special jelly. Yeah, which, you know, again, I think I think me trying to just not get super angry at this movie just decided that he was talking about Peter like he was toast and not like he was, you know, a, a person he was gonna have sex with non-consensually. Cause well, then uh, uh, Groot sticks his fingers inside this guy's nose and squeezes his brain. Yeah. A rocket says, listen, this this is our booty. Yeah. Yep, and yeah, he just tells everyone to stay away. Because I, I guess Rocket's idea at this point is he's going to help them all break out so he can take Peter somewhere to turn him in. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, sure. I guess he's still out for that bounty. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, what else? We get introduced to Drax. He's kind of watching all the other prisoners threaten Gamora. Right, he yeah. He has the biggest vendetta against Gamora. Right, and then it cuts to that night where everyone is just asleep in a pile. Yeah, cuddle pile. <laughs> they are just in a big cuddle pile. We see that they have individual cells, but mm-hmm. well, I guess, uh, you know, at nighttime, it's slumber party time. Right, it's fun prison times. Yeah, and everyone just cuddled up in a big pile. 
Uh, but Quill wakes up when he hears something, and a bunch of prisoners have uh, Gamora. Like, they've got a knife to her throat. The deadliest woman in the galaxy. Yeah. And then Drax comes in, and he's all like, you dare? I Ronan killed my wife and my daughter, and I'm mad about it, so I should get to kill her. It is yeah. really just a... You're selling me on this not being a good movie. <laughs> well, Luke, he he suffered the most egregious trauma. Right, yeah. He had two family members fridged. Yeah, it's it's pretty... It, it Yeah. It's just very cliche. So Gamora kills two of the men, but then Drax grabs her and starts choking her. Yeah. So Peter Quill has to step in and save the deadliest woman in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> but yeah, he explains to Drax that... Uh, he gives a long monologue yeah. about how all the alien women he's had sex with and how this isn't just about wanting to have sex with Gamora. Right. Unlike all the other alien women I've had sex with, like the Oscavarian women who have the big teeth, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, and the uh the red the red people, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. He does go on about <laughs> that on a lot. so long, yeah. But uh, the the actual point of his monologue here is that uh she was betraying Ronan, and Ronan's probably coming here to kill her, so he should leave her alive. So that Ronan will have someone to come here to kill. And then he and then can he fight pu- Ronan. he puts his finger on his throat to make the, like, the kill motion. Right, yeah, yeah, But yeah. Drax doesn't understand it because he, he's not good with uh, symbolic language. Right, Drax is from a, an alien race that does not understand metaphor or, like, exaggeration. So he, he doesn't understand it, is the thing. And, and again, like... This scene is a little... Eh, they, eh, this scene's fine. But also, it it definitely explains Drax's deal, especially when you see him continue to do it later. But they do feel the need to have Rocket explain that he's from a very literal race of people and you have to be literal when you talk to him. Right, which isn't even consistently portrayed. No, because you really... That's like... If they consistently portrayed it, it would just be, this movie would just be an obnoxious Abbott and Costello sketch. So now and then, they just have to let him understand a metaphor for no reason. Um, yeah. But Drax does look at the knife that he borrowed from another prisoner and says, I like this knife, I'm keeping it. And it cuts to the prisoner who says, like, oh man, it's my favorite knife. That guy's alright. Yeah, that guy's alright. Yeah. (laughs) I hope he gets that knife back someday. The odds seem against it, but I believe in him. So, Quill and Gamora and Rock have a conversation. She explains she wanted to take the orb and sell it to this guy for four billion units. Yeah. Um, so they all come with a plan. Let's let's get out of this prison, get that guy together, and split the money four ways. Right. That That's how they convince Rocket to give up on turning Peter in, because this payout will be way bigger. And then Rocket starts explaining... Oh, no, I guess we cut first. Oh, boy. We cut first back to Ronan talking to the guy that owned the army from the Avengers. Oh, yeah, the other. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And uh, they talk for a while, and Thanos wants to talk to Ronan, and Ronan just is like, why are you mad at me? It was your henchman that fucked this up, dude. Which is a fair point. Right. Uh, He does murder the other because he yells at him. Right. So I guess the other is just dead. Ronan is completely justified in his anger here. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, he did nothing wrong. He sent the henchmen that Thanos gave him to do the thing, and they fucked it up. (laughs) 
But now Thanos summons him here to say, like, listen, it's your fault for alienating my favorite daughter. Right, she's only betraying me because you made her mad or something. Doesn't make any sense. So, give me the orb back or I'll, I'll bathe the starways with your blood. Yeah. And then he proceeds to not do anything for the rest of the movie. No. Thanos should... Yeah, I said Thanos didn't need to be in this. I want to revise that. Thanos should just be the bad guy in this movie. Right. Like, this should be, like, and then he gets defeated, and that plants the seeds for him to come to Earth in Infinity War. Right. That should be like, how this movie goes. Like, in Avengers, he lost. In this movie, he constantly gets punked. Yeah, well, I mean, he's barely even in it. You're right that he gets punked in, like, a bigger picture thing, but this is his only scene. He has one short, other short scene later. Does but, he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, he, he just keeps losing. Right. He's not really built up well as like, oh, this is the big threat that's coming. Yeah, you're you're right. He doesn't do, but I, I, at the very least, with the Avengers, you could get the sense that like he didn't lose so much as he was testing Earth's strength, and like it's kind of spooky that oh shit, he's gonna bring the real shit next time. Right, and that that's fine as your first thing, but then right. you can't do that again in this movie and again in Age of Ultron. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Wait, how is he involved in Age of Ultron? He's in the mid credit scene. Oh, okay, I don't even remember that. Anyway, uh, he sends Nebula to go with Ronan and, and deal with the whole Gamera situation. Gamera? Gamora. Yeah, Gamera. Yeah. Man, this movie would be way better if it had Gamera in it. So, Rocket comes up with a plan. They need to steal a battery, and they need to steal his guy's leg. Yep, and they need to steal this, like, cyborg implant armband that one of the guards has. And uh, he explains that if you rip the battery out of the tower, then that'll set off all the alarms. So that needs to be the thing you get last, because we'll have to, like, execute the plan once that happens. But Groot wasn't listening to that part and just went and got it. So now they have to rush and do everything. And you get a little action set piece. There's a big, there's a big prison riot happening. And Drax throws a big gun to Rocket. And Rocket says, oh, yeah. Oh, man. And starts <sighs> shooting all the guards. That was... Hmm? That was maybe my biggest groaner of the entire movie, where I'm like, oh, you want me to think this is, like, super cool and super funny, and it's not either. Yeah, no, a lot of this movie is them wanting to be, wanting you to be really impressed at how super cool and funny and irreverent they are. That, that, that shot felt like a moment out of a Shrek movie. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does, but there's a good like, joke. Puss in when- Boots would do that. <laughs> There is a good joke when it cuts from Rocket shooting all the men to Quill having a conversation to a guy with a prosthetic leg, and the guy says, you need what? Yeah, yeah. That's a good joke. Yeah, no, that, that's that's decent. Um, But, uh, yeah, they, they all, there's a big old tussle in the prison house, and they eventually get into the guard tower, um, and Rocket eventually, like, does some stuff and turns off the gravity in the prison. Right, as everyone... There was, like, a guy counting down for him to shoot all their rocket launchers at the guard tower to kill them? And then the gravity turns off, and I guess that means they can't shoot anymore? I I guess. I guess. All right. just like like Hydra. Like, I mean, listen, that's gonna be some bad recoil, so I get it on that level, but it just seems like, oh, we're floating now, that means we can't shoot guns no more. Drax gets mad because Quill calls him a thesaurus. Yep, that does happen. Do not ever call me a thesaurus. Uh... Somewhere in all of this is also the beginning of a real fun and funny thing Drax does, where he constantly refers to Gamora with demeaning language. For right, women. he calls Gamora a wench and a whore. Uh-huh, uh-huh. For no, like, 
no reason. Like, that doesn't fit under his whole, like, super literal thing. If anything, he shouldn't call her a whore because she's not, like, charging people for sex. Right. So he should, like, why is he calling her that? Well, it's a really funny joke. I guess. I guess it's a really funny joke when a guy, when an oblivious guy just uses mean, like, not nice words for women. Anyway, Rocket, like, gets all the prison drones to surround the tower and, like, like have them arrange themselves to become, like, jets for it. Yeah. And then they fly through a door and then they crash the tower and they, they like, find where Quill's ship is and they all gotta get to it. Uh, except that while they were collecting all their belongings, Quill sees that his, cassette, his Walkman isn't here and he's gotta go find it. Right, he fights a bunch of guys and shocks them with his plasma pistols from Halo. Yeah. And he takes his Walkman back from the Blue Man. Right, I think this is the scene with the Polina Colada song. Uh, I don't remember. I, if I remember right, that's what the needle drop is for this scene. But yeah, he does that and just narrowly manages to catch up with them. And Drax is talking about how, oh, he really likes this guy. He's full of spirit and, and he's, he's, he's daring. What was the important thing you had to go back and get? And then he sees it was the Walkman and he just calls him an idiot. An imbecile. An imbecile. So then Rocket starts building a bomb? Yeah, then it just cuts, like, to later that day or whatever, and Rocket is just ripping parts out of the side of the ship, uh, and just explains that eh, he's just building a bomb, you know, just in case, and... Was he gonna leave it lying around? Right, yeah. He's like, no, I was gonna put it in a box. You know, it's... The, the, <laughs> scenes like this are where this movie's at its best. I, I do think the banter between the, the Guardians is... It's, it's entertaining. Yeah, I, I trust James Gunn to write, like... Five minute shorts. Sure, <laughs> I, I I saw like the second half of Super on TV once. It was all right. So Gamora's fiddling with the orb, and Quill is like, "Listen, I would trust you a lot more if you told me what this actually is." Yeah, I think it's some kind of super weapon. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they're 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 being real cagey about what the deal with the orb is. But for now, we have to go to nowhere. Well, first they have a little argument about it. And Gamora storms off and says, like, Quill, your ship is filthy. Oh, right. And then Quill says, ah, she, uh, she doesn't know. If only we had a blacklight, I could show you all the cum stains on my ship. Right. <laughs> Wait, like, you're not wrong, but also when you put it that way, it really just... <laughs> it really just what? I don't know, but it, it just it puts it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... Ronan... So the evil chromosome yes. has arrived at the kiln. Yeah. Uh, I'm really mad that it's called the kiln with a Y. Why? I don't know. It just seems like, let's take a real word and just replace one of the vowels with a Y, and now it's a cool word. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Ronan's going to send Necrocraft to every corner of the quadrant and find the orb at any means, at any price, and he's going to kill all the guards so the Nova won't find out what they're looking for. Yep. All, all that happens, he says, to cleanse the prison. So that's that's what they do. Uh, meanwhile, back on Xandar, uh, Yondu... Wait, boy, listen, I get this is a like, sci-fi world with a lot of aliens. You do just sound like you're talking, like reading a Dr. Seuss novel when you're summarizing this movie sometimes. <laughs> Yondu's trying to buy a little frog from the broker that Quill was talking to earlier, and he wants to know... Where that orb's going. Yeah. Who, who wants to buy it. Right, and the, the broker keeps trying to explain that, you know, 
about client confidentiality and stuff, but Peter's doing that really funny thing where you just sort of, like, blabber over somebody else to make them not able to talk. It is a funny thing that Yondu does. Yeah. Uh, then he pulls out... I think this is the first time we really see his, his whistle arrow thing, right? Yes. Like, I think he brandished it at one point, but now he actually, like, whips it out. And yeah, it's just... And he threatens the guy, so the guy tells him yeah. that the person he's selling to is the collector. And now we cut to the collector, where one of his slaves is polishing the, like, display case of a dark elf. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is what's in there. Um, the collector feels very... Did you... Have you ever seen the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie? No. There's... I'm trying to remember what that character's name is. There's someone in that movie that reminds me a lot of the collector, where he's like a priest for, like, a sneezing church? I don't remember. It's it's a weird movie. Uh, I, I just remember the very good joke where he gives a sermon and the entire congregation sneezes and he goes, bless you. And that was a funny joke in that movie that's not that good. Thank you for telling me that funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> so the collector tells his slave to scrub better or else he'll lobotomize her and put her in a display case. Yeah, it's real upsetting. <laughs> Right, well, this, we need to establish this important thing about these two characters. I guess. I guess we do. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, the, I guess we do. Yeah. The Guardians of the Galaxy get to nowhere, which is spelled K-N-O-W, according to the subtitles. Right, so it's cool. Right. Um, This is kind of a cool concept, at least. It is like the skull of a dead space god that a bunch of people have colonized and, like, mine all the, like marrow out of i guess because it's like yeah, valuable they're, they're mining the spinal fluid and the gray matter yeah i mean that's a cool premise for like a kooky sci-fi location i'm into it yeah that's cool yeah uh because yeah you get you go into this skull and it's just like lined with all these little ships and like mining operations yeah, more explains this is the lawless lawless town yeah there's no regulations here right and peter says that he comes from a planet of outlaws like billy the kid and john stamos and they all get accosted by some children who are looking to get some money yeah and they give him some money but then groot gives a little girl some flour instead of some money because he's a piece of shit <laughs> yeah groot like grows a flower out of his hand and gives it to her they constantly treat everything groot does like it is the most precious thing and i don't understand it Flower ain't gonna buy bread, Groot. I really, really wanted it to be like this, like sweeping violin music as he grows a flower and gives it to this little girl, and she's entranced. And then as soon as he walks away, have her just be like, "Fucking goddammit. <laughs> but they don't. She's just, she's just charmed by Groot, as was the nation. I like Groot. Yeah, Groot's I'm fine. Too good for Groot. I got nothing against Groot. Uh. But, yeah, they wander around a little more. Kill some time before the Byral meet with them. Yeah. So they go to air hockey cockfights? Yes. It's <laughs> a mix of cockfights and air hockey. Right. Where they... It's like a big lizard that has to run around this table with flamethrowers and shit and collect all the other lizards. It's also got a little bit of Hungry Hungry Hippos in there. Yeah. It's, you know. it's a lot of different games all mixed in. Uh, Groot's not happy about, uh, the fact that this is cockfighting. No, Groot doesn't like- th Why does Groot hang out with Rocket? Yeah, that's a good question. They What's their story? Yeah, well, we don't know that. We don't know in the second movie, either. No? Okay, well. Well, because it's not- It's like a new Groot in that movie, right? Right. Yeah, so he wouldn't know. 
But so while while the boys are having their fun, uh, Gamora and Quill have a nice little romantic moment balcony. Yeah, which again, it feels like you're skipping steps in the relationship building in this movie. Where now they now there's all of a sudden for this one scene some like romantic tension between them. Gamora explains that Thanos is not actually her father. He he killed her parents in front of her and tortured her and turned her into a weapon. Yeah, and she. When she heard that he was going to destroy Xandar, she's like, this is too much. I have to I have to leave my abusive father. Right. Now, Thanos is a bad guy. I don't, mm-hmm. I've, I've, uh, let's state that for the record. I don't, I don't condone Thanos' actions. Okay, now I'm nervous about where you're going with this. <laughs> but if you're going to be the kind of superhero comic bad guy... That kidnaps children and, like, brainwashes them to be your servants of destruction and death. It just seems like he did a bad job with Gamora. Just seems like if you're... Just seems like you can do a better job at being, you know, a mad tyrant than your most trusted henchman getting cold feet as soon as you start talking about blowing up a planet. Could have brainwashed her better. Could have brainwashed her better, that's all I'm saying. Like, listen, I guess it's a good... It's for the best that he didn't. But Listen, don't don't brainwash people. Right. Do do not kidnap children, torture them, and brainwash I them. Don't do be, it. I cannot be more clear here. Don't but if do you're that. gonna do it. If you're gonna do it, do it right. That's all I'm saying. Show some pride in your work that you shouldn't do. <laughs> so you know, Gamora asks, "Why did you risk your life just for this this cassette player?" Yeah. And Peter explains that that uh, his mom gave it to him. It was all it was all the songs that she loved growing up, and it was it was the, one of the last possessions he has from Earth. Yeah, and he he lets Gamora listen to it, and she is entranced, and they start getting closer together. Right, and Quill's like, maybe we could dance. She says she doesn't dance. Right, and Quill says that's a lot like a legend we have on my planet called Footloose. Yeah, and he explains the plot of Footloose, but. He, he has a line about how everyone in that town has a stick up their butt and, you know, Kevin Bacon has to help them learn how to dance. And she all of a sudden becomes Drax because she's like, wait, who yeah, put the sticks up Yeah, she kind of becomes Drax in this scene. Yeah, I don't, uh, but yeah, she doesn't understand that, that idiom when she's had no problem with any of the other ones flying around this movie. And like, just as they're about to kiss, she, she pulls back and puts a throat, puts a knife to his throat and says, I know who you are, Peter Quill. I'm not some starry-eyed waif here to succumb to your pelvic sorcery. Yeah. So again, she's being written like Drax for some reason in this scene. Yeah, you know what? You're right. She is just written like Drax all of a sudden. The rest of the movie, she's like very level-headed and reasonable. Yeah. But here she's like uh, like some kind of foreign warrior woman who doesn't understand the the ways of this this city slicker. Yeah, this scene is bad and shouldn't be in the movie. No, it's not good. Like, they, there was no need to, like, have a romance thing between these two, at least not in this movie. If you want to go there in a sequel, sure, maybe. But, like, this is the only scene that does that in this one, and it's a bad scene. Uh, but they're interrupted because the Hungry Hungry Hippos air hockey cockfight has turned into a fistfight between Groot and Drax. And you know, Rocket's mad because he's... A- 
Well, his madness is exacerbated by him being very intoxicated. But he's like, right. everyone calls me like a rodent and a rat and a pet and a vermin. And I don't like it. I want to be treated with respect. Yeah. And like, if you really wanted to be generous with this movie, you could say like this scene, like, oh, this is all of Rocket's characterization. These are all the emotions he's got bottled up in every other scene. But like, you know, I don't know. Again, it's fine. It's not especially good, but it's fine. He didn't ask to get torn apart and put back together over and over again. Right. It feels like they wanted him to have this moment and didn't really know how to make it happen, like, organically. So they just shoehorned it into this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and Peter tells him to calm down, says, if you can just deal with this for one more day, you'll be very rich. Yeah. Uh, And then the collector's servant shows up and Rocket stops being drunk because it's time for this scene to be over. Right, he does just stop being drunk. They just walk through a doorway into a new scene, and now he's not drunk anymore. Yeah, I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So they go into the collector's collection, I guess. Uh, he offers to buy Groot's carcass. Yeah. They're, they're showing, like, some of the different, like, things the collector has on display. I do like the repeated, like, shots that they show throughout this movie of the, like, first cosmonaut dog from Earth. Right, Cosmo the Space Dog. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a fun gag. I think that's my thing with this movie, is that it it's just as, like, sloppily written and not super engaging as every other Marvel movie, but the humor works for me way better, and I'm just kind of mildly entertained the whole time, so I don't mind as much. There's a good joke where Peter dramatically takes out the orb and then drops it and then picks it back up again. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, sh- it's a good visual gag. Chris Pratt is, is good at physical comedy. Gag. Drax is bored outside while this is happening, so he hijacks a, a radio station... And sends a message to Ronan. Well, yeah, because the, his, like, exit from the last scene was he was getting impatient because he was told that, like, they were going to fight Ronan. And they're still dealing with this the whole thing with the orb. And he's mad that he feels like he's being conned. And so, yeah, he goes to... I guess he just has Ronan's phone number. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, uh, the collector's a weird guy. And he takes the orb and... Tixter. He explains the yeah. Infinity Stones. He. This is where we get the explanation of the Infinity Stones. The second explanation of the Infinity Stones. There will be more to come. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, because Odin already explained them. Right. Okay, yeah. yeah there well, were, maybe you didn't see that movie. Right. There were six singularities, and then the universe was created, and they were turned into precious ingots. Um, and only beings of extraordinary strength like the Celestials yeah. can wield them. But legend has it that one time, how many people, are, how many of you fucks are here? Four, four, four people had the mm. had an Infinity Stone and they managed to channel the power between themselves mm. for a short time. And Peter Quill explains that he has pissed his pants. Yeah. Yeah, because we get to, so this is the Power Stone, right? This is the Power Stone, yes. So, so, it has a lot of destructive power. Right. Unlike the Reality Stone, which had a lot of destructive power. Well, Or the Space Stone, which had a lot of destructive power. Look, the, the Aether was not being used to destroy, it was being used to alter the nature of reality by deleting life. (laughs) You didn't see Malekith, like blow up a planet with it. I guess not. No, you're right. You showed it. You saw him make a bunch of shit teleport around and manipulate space. No, he didn't do that. That was the convergence. <laughs> right. No, you're right. Excuse me. 
So as the collector's getting out his checkbook, well, his no, but slave, before we do that, I do want to say the shot of like the sages that all channel the power stone together, like exploding, is the goofiest shot in this entire movie. Like, <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, they're just these weird dudes in cloaks, just kind of shaking, and then they explode. Yeah, they've got like weird glasses on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as he's giving this dialogue about it um the collector's servant keeps looking at the stone and uh declares that she will not be a slave anymore and grabs the stone then she's consumed by its power and everything starts blowing up right and this is they're gonna explain it more explicitly later which is that the power stone destroys any organic matter it comes in contact with Mm -hmm. like you know a person if they grab it or say like a planet right yeah yeah. <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. she she dies. I think the yeah, the collector gets uh not killed, but you know, blown up real good as the whole like like building explodes. Yeah, they they make sure to sh- they have a shot of Cosmo the space dog getting out unharmed. Yes. Which was very important to me personally, so I'm glad they did. This is a good little dog. Yeah. Dog just went to space. Yeah. It's just a cute dog in a little astronaut costume and I love it. <laughs> So then Rocket's like, what the fuck were we carrying? We need to get rid of this thing and go to the other side of the universe. Yeah. And uh, Moore's like, no, we have to be responsible and get it to the Nova Corps. They can keep it safe. So, no. Hmm? That seems like a bad idea. It does seem like a bad idea. Seems like don't give this to anybody. Seems like don't, no one should have this thing. Don't give it to the cops who just got done fighting a thousand year war. Yeah. Uh-huh. I understand that they live in, like, a fancy... Like, they live on a planet that looks like an iPhone, but that doesn't make them good guys. Right. Uh, Quill is conflicted between whether they should, you know, turn it over to the authorities or still try to find a buyer for it, and Gamora gets mad at him. But, uh, I think at this point... Right, then... Is this when Yondu shows up? No, this is when uh when Ronan shows up. You know what? It's when both of them show up. Uh-huh. Yeah, Ronan and Nebula like come down right in front of them, and then Yondu is like off in the crowd, and just all the all the plot points have converged. Uh, Drax is is not happy to see Ronan, but you know this is what he wanted. Right, but Ronan beats him up pretty easily. Yeah, here's another thing I don't don't love about Ronan, and this is not even a Ronan specific complaint because I think a lot of characters in the MCU have this problem. He's not like, it's not fun to watch him like do shit. He's just kind of punches right? and then guys fly away like he's he doesn't have any like cool powers that are fun to watch. He's just a boring bad guy. Is he cool in the comics? He's cooler in the comics. Okay, what's his what's his deal in the comics? Well, he's like, he's not necessarily a a villain in the comics, but he he just cares a lot about justice. Okay, sure. He's like uh, he's like if if not Jean Valjean, the other guy. I don't fucking know Les Miserables. I, I couldn't tell you. The other guy from Les It's like if he, that guy had a big hammer. Okay. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, Drax gets the shit kicked out of him. Uh, but Gamora starts to escape with the orb. Her and Peter and uh, Rocket have all hijacked like these mining crafts. And there's like a chase through the skull thing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it, it's fine. While watching this movie, I did have a thought of, like... Because I feel like every time in these movies, once it turns into, like, a big CG explosion fest, I get really bored. I'm like, is that just a me thing? Do I just not like that kind of action? 
And then I think about how, like, my favorite movie is Speed Racer, and I love all the action scenes in that movie, and I... Mm. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what the difference is, but all the scenes like this in these movies, I just kind of check out during. Oh, yeah. I like it. Uh, these these crafts don't have any weapons, so but they're very sturdy, so they just have to ram the other ships. That's the that's the thing. Nebula says says she's gonna she's gonna shoot down Gamora. Gamora tearfully tries to explain to her like, listen. Rodan's gonna kill us all. Please, sister, help me stop. Right, and then Nebula says he's not gonna kill us all, because you'll already be dead. I don't really understand Nebula's character in this movie. She's very mad at her sister and her dad. Okay, but... (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) I just... None of her decisions or actions make all that much sense to me. It just seems like, I don't know, we need you to attack Gamora. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, this uh these fights keep going. Uh Ronan tells Drax that he didn't doesn't remember killing his family and he won't remember killing him either. Uh and then he throws him in a big goopy pool of goop of spinal fluid. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. Uh Gamora gets chased out into space where these ships are not designed to fly and her ship gets exploded. Right, and she well she okay. She, like, flies out the front of the pod and ex- escapes the explosion basically unscathed. Yeah, surprisingly. It's, I don't know, it's weird. Yeah. I don't like that they did it this way so there'd be, like, a shot of her floating through space like this. Yeah. Yeah, I did have that thought of, like, her whole ship just explodes, there's, like, shards of metal and glass flying everywhere, and, eh, she's fine. Other than the fact that she's floating in space. Uh, so then Peter Quill. Yes. It's out of his pod and gives her a special mask that'll save her. Yeah. So okay, Peter hits okay. the radio and says, "Yondu, I'm I'm here. I'm in this location. Come pick me up." Um, they do explain that Gamora has like some body mods that will let her survive longer in space than just a person would, but not very long. Uh, then Peter, you, know, you don't really freeze like this. No, out there. no, that's. But you know, whatever. That's. Yeah, well, that's that's fine. That, that's some cinema sin shit, you know. Uh, Peter like floats out into the void, takes off his space helmet thing, and puts it on her face, and then they both get sucked up into Yondu's ship. Does seem like he maybe could have just brought her back into the mining ship. Like it would have been tight in there, but that seems like it would have worked. They really linger on this scene. Yeah, there's a lot of close-ups of Chris Pratt's face getting all frosted over, and his eyes going all bloodshot and gross. But, uh, yeah, they they get taken up into Yondu's ship, and the orb gets taken up into Ronin's ship. And I guess I lied, I guess there is this scene that also has some romantic tension to it. Again, not really necessarily. Uh, Gamora's, like, laying on the ground, and Peter's, like, leaning over her body, and he's explaining how what he did was just so brave and and heroic. Yeah, it, like, starts off as a genuine moment, and then he starts talking himself up, and it it just becomes comedic. Uh, it's, uh, you know. Now Yondu's got the orb. Mm, What? No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. Ronan's got the orb. Oh, yeah, Ronan's got the orb. Yeah. (laughs) Ronan definitely took the orb, yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, Groot fishes Drax out of the, uh... Spinal fluid. Out of the spinal fluid, and stabs him in the chest to, like, you know, create airflow into his lung, and then he starts, like, puking up the fluid, and, like, it's spraying out of the chest wound, and it's very gross. I guess that's how that works. Yeah, I mean, that's... I know that's something they do sometimes, 
they they have to like puncture your like trachea or something. I don't when you're I don't know. I don't know enough about first aid. I know that is a thing that is done. Okay. But I yeah, who knows. And Rocket Rocket flies down there and he gets he gets mad at Drax. And Drax has a genuine moment where he explains that all his anger and his rage was just to cover his loss. Yeah. And then Groot uh, starts comforting him. Rocket's like, oh, boo-hoo, my wife and child are dead. And Groot gasps. Yes. Uh, but Rocket kind of pushes forward and says, like, you know, everyone has lost people, and you're a fucking prick, and I don't care about your dumb problems. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Groot then says, Rock- we, gotta, we gotta go up there and save Quill and Gamora. Right, because Rocket just wants to ditch and hope they can get far enough away that they will die of old age before Ronan destroys whatever planet they settle on. But yeah, Groot wants to be heroes and says, I am Groot. And then Rocket says, I know they're the only friends we've ever had, but... Oh, Rocket, they're not oh. your friends. <laughs> A, they're not your Buddy. friends. B, this is... That's some real sloppy dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I like this movie conceptually, and I want it to work. And I think that even extended to what I was watching. I was like, eh, this isn't amazing, but it's fine. But now that we're actually talking through it, I, man, it's it's not a, it's not a great script, is it? Mm, it's not a fantastic script. You know, like I said, it's it's got some it's got some decent jokes, some 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 solid goofs. Um and I mean, I complained that the needle drops are all kind of obvious, but like, listen. I, I I like it when the guys go like Uga Chaka over and over. That's I like it. I liked it when that other movie did it. Yeah, that that was the, probably the weirdest needle drop choice to me because there's already like a movie that famously uses that song. Well, I don't know. what do you want? Uh, I guess yeah. Um, Thanos tells Ronan to bring him the orb, and Ronan's like, eh, no, and. uh takes the stone out and he starts to get all explodey but then he mashes the stone into the side of his hammer right and that lets him use the stone without touching it so sure whatever who yeah. cares whatever that works it's fine yeah who cares whatever uh and he tells nebula that she's working for him now and he's going to kill thanos after he blows up zandar Zand- and she's like ah oh, cool i hate thanos dude's a prick and Thanos is very mad, but he doesn't do anything about it. Literally everyone in this movie... Thanos don't got no friends, Crystal. No. No one likes him. Thanos is not good at uh, fostering loyalty. Right. Yeah. Thanos is dumb in this movie. Thanos sucks. He doesn't get any better, either. Yeah, Thanos sucks, and Ronan sucks, and there should have just been one bad guy in this movie, and it should have been Thanos. And they should have made him better. Like, if you're gonna have it so that the main bad guy is working for Thanos, and all of his henchmen are servants of Thanos, right. and, like, the plan hinges on Thanos doing something, why not just make Thanos the bad guy? Right. It, it's it's not good. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, Rodan has the, the cool power hammer now. Yondu beats up, uh, ooh, got a bunch of thunder outside. Yondu is beating up Quill for screwing them out of the orb. And he tells the exact same story from the beginning about how, you know, he saved Quill from being cannibalized. And then- I love all these background Ravager actors. His job is just to look very mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do a good job in their, like, makeup and costume design. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
Quill just gives this angry monologue about how, like, you don't get credit for not eating him, and, like, you know, they kidnapped him, and that's not cool. Uh, so Yondu uh, puts arrow to Quill's throat, which means death. Right. And he, he is, like, very clearly trying to stretch this out as long as possible to give Quill time to come up with an excuse for why he shouldn't kill him. Right, yeah. And then Quill does, and Yondu kind of smiles before he turns back to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yondu likes Quill. Yeah, they get uh, more into that in the second movie. Yeah, from better the, than this film. The bits and pieces I've seen in the second movie, that seems like it's kind of a central thing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Quill explains that Gamora knows everything about Ronan's ship, and they can use her to like pull a heist off and steal the Power Stone back. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's it. And he yeah, that's enough for Yondu. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't yeah. need much. He just right. needs something. Yeah. Uh, and then Rocket and the others all show up in Quill's ship and threaten to destroy Yondu's ship unless they give up the, you know, give up Quill and, uh, Gamora. And they de-escalate the scene and it's all, you know, yeah, that happens. That's a fun scene. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's fine. I, I like, yeah, I, I do like the scene afterwards where they're all mad at Rocket because for, like, what? How did you think that was gonna work? You gave them five seconds to give us to you. But how were they supposed to do that? Uh, but yeah, they have this long, drawn-out uh, scene with just the the five of them, where they're all kind of talking back and forth about how this is impossible and they can't do it. And Quill's like, "Oh, you know what I see in this room? A bunch of losers." I like I'm, this speech. Yeah, I, I like it. All right. Uh, and by losers, I mean you know people who have lost stuff because we've all experienced loss and. But, may, you know, we've been given a chance this time to give a shit. And, you know, we can we can help people. And uh, sort of one by one, he manages to win over all of the, the Guardians to his side. Yeah. You know, Gamora has a line about how she spent most of her life living among enemies, and she'd, she'd feel honored to die among friends. Uh, these aren't your friends, Gamora. Yeah. <laughs> Again, they, they're, Rocket, they're, Gamora. they're hitting all these beats that just... Oh man, they would they work in a fucking like uh you know in isolation, but they really did not make it to this point. Like okay, okay. She's had some positive interactions with Quill. Yes. She has not had any positive interactions with anyone else in this group. No, you're right, one hundred percent. Quill is the only one that is maybe her friend. Right. Drax has had no positive interactions with any of these people. Yes. They've led him around, led him on. <laughs> I guess Groot saved his life. That's something. Sure. Everyone uh, likes Groot. Everyone likes Groot. Groot's, Groot's her friend. Yeah. Groot's everyone's friend. Sure. That's that's my new CBS sitcom. Everyone likes Groot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I I basically like this whole scene. It's like, like I said, I think this movie's at its best when it's just all the Guardians bantering. Uh, but yeah, then we get like a, you know preparation montage where they're explaining their heist plan and suiting up and we get some butt shots of Gamora because you know yeah they do show her, her tits and ass yes um but they explain that yeah if the power stone touches any organic life it destroys it and the bigger the life the the more it reacts so if it touches the surface of a planet that's real bad Right. Sure. Again, whatever. It's Calvin Ball. I don't care if that's what, what's your what's your issue. <laughs> the that like the planet is not like organic. Uh, okay, Luke. It's gonna touch the grass and it's gonna spread through the grass and then to other life. I guess, but they. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Sure. 
How do you know it's not Ego the Living Planet? <laughs> you know what? I guess I don't know that it's not Ego the Living Planet. He's You're in right. the second movie. Oh, man. <laughs> um, But, yeah, so they they need to get the Power Stone before it can touch the surface by any means necessary. They're going to uh, breach the hull of Ronan's ship, sneak in. Gamora is going to disable the power that, like opens up the sealed blast door that Ronin's going to be behind, and then they're going to shoot him with the weapon Rocket made to threaten Yondu with. And then there's a shot of them, a t- little, nice little team shot of them walking through a hallway, and they're all yeah. wearing Ravager garb, because now they're a, a one big team. Heck yeah. And, and uh, Quill yeah. sends a message to John C. Riley. Right, yes. Explaining that Ronin is coming to the planet. He's in possession of something called an Infinity Stone. Right. And he says that he's an a-hole, but he's not 100% a dick. Right, and see, it's funny because they're using that kind of crass language in, like, a military strategy room. Right, this movie is very impressed when you are irreverent in front of very serious people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, the big final fight starts, and they're having a big old dogfight with Ronan's forces. And the, the Nova Corps ships join in because they believed... Peter's message, and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of shooting and exploding happening. They got my dick message. Yeah, he does shout that out at one point. Um, the Nova Corps ships all, like, link together to form a big shield that's gonna, like, wrap around the evil chromosome. That part was kind of neat. Yeah. yeah. That's a neat visual. Uh, and yeah, they eventually get into Ronin's ship, and it's very dark. It's a dark so, aster. That is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Groot, like, produces all of these bioluminescent spores, and it's it's, it's kind of neat looking, but again, it's this moment of, like, they treat it like this, like, beautiful, like, moment of quiet awe, and I don't understand. They gotta sell Groot toys, though. I guess they gotta sell Groot toys. Like, it's, it's just a weird tone for this movie, and it, they do it every time Groot does anything. Right. Oh, if you just play the right music and hold the shot long enough, anything can be heartwarming. I guess. But, like, then they even have the reaction of Drax, like, How did you learn to do that? Like, what? Uh, 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 who cares? Look, have you played Mass Effect Andromeda? I have not played Mass Effect Andromeda. It's a good game, but there's, like, so the first play in the game, there's, like, floating rocks. You know, just yeah. fun, fun, nice little thing, I guess. But whoever made those was very impressed with themselves. Oh, sure. Because there's like 50 lines of dialogue. Like, oh my god, I can't believe there's floating rocks. Look yeah. at those floating rocks. Avatar this place came is nuts. out it has floating six rocks. years before that game. You can't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Groot lights the room up just in time for Nebula to show up. Uh, and she starts in with, like, a villain speech, but Drax just... Oh, right, right, right. Before Nebula shows up, Drax explains how he feels like all these people have become his friends. And he tells, uh, Peter that he's his friend, and this idiot tree is his friend, and even this green whore is his friend. That's uh, funny. It's funny, it's, it's still really funny when, for no real reason, he uses demeaning language to refer to Gamora. I like the they occasionally cut back to Glenn Close like giving orders at back at Nova Command, uh-huh. and the same brunette woman who keeps catching my eye for some reason <laughs> is just standing next to her, and she's clearly been given no direction of what to do with the prop she's holding. So she just keeps like poking this data pad in random places. Right? Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> but yeah, then Nebula shows up and starts in on a villain speech about how shitty and awful Gamora is. But Drax cuts her off with a rocket launcher to the face. And, you know, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at some point we do see Nebula, like, it's, it's gross and I like it. It's a good effect where, like, her body's all, like, broken and twisted and it starts to, like, snap back into place as she recovers from it. Yeah, it's very, it's, accomplishes a lot of things at once. Yeah. Like, shows you, oh, oh, she's, she's been so dehumanized by Thanos' forced augmentations. Sure, I just thought it was gross and creepy and cool. It is gross and creepy. (laughs) Yondu got shot down in the grounds, and he picks oh, right, up his yeah. glass frog. Right. And then he kills some Sakarians with his arrow. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all... Sh- <laughs> he is surrounded by a bunch of soldiers and, like, a gunship pointed at him. They all have their guns raised and pointed at him, and he whistles, and they all just stand there and wait patiently while it flies around this field and kills them all. Well, the Sakarians are like paper people. There is literally a guy behind Yondu, who is the last one he kills, who just stands there with his gun lowered while every other guy on this field dies. And then just slowly waits so we get a POV shot of the arrow flying towards him to kill him. Uh huh. It is baffling. Well, they have to show how cool Yondu's arrow is. Uh, sure. This seems like a bad way to do it, though. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, Nebula and Gamora have a fight because Gamora's got to get to the the energy battery thing. Um, some of the like enemy ships, I think, are starting to breach, and they're you know crashing and shooting down in the city and that kind of thing. Uh, but rockets flying around the Milano. And he's, he's shooting him, shooting him down. Drax kills Korath and says, "Oh finger right, to yeah. The throat means death." He does just dig his fingers into his skull and rips like a chunk of cybernetics Man, out. The actor for Korath has stories like, "I did this movie because my son he loves superhero movies, and he's like, Dad, oh, I want really? you to play a superhero.' Oh man! And then he plays this minor villain who barely has any lines. What a bummer! Yeah." <laughs> Uh, the, he does get a good scene, or at least is part of a good scene, because when they walk in, he sees Peter and goes, Star-Lord, and Peter gets a moment of, like, you know, he's happy that someone's finally calling him by the stupid name he likes. Yeah, it's not weird to have a code name. Oh yeah, we did skip that scene where John C. Riley's like, eh, hey, what was your name, Star-Prince? No, Star-Lord, ah, no, don't worry about it, buddy, it's fine. Like, Peter's, like, embarrassed <laughs> that he's being called out like that. <laughs> it's a good scene. Anyway, yeah, uh, everyone's fighting and punching and shooting, and it's just a, a real raucous time. It's a little, it's a little space, not space, but atmosphere about dogfight. Yeah. Groot impales, like, 50 guys and slams them against the wall over and over. There's a lot of, like, murder in this movie. Uh-huh, yeah, no. Like, it's not, sh- it's not played up much, but yeah, a lot of people die in this one. Yeah, it's, it's just war. Sure, it just seems, yeah, jarring because it's portrayed the exact same way as, like, the, you know, the less lethal Marvel movies. Ronan... Yeah, wow, Drax does, or not Drax, Groot does just, like, fire a, like, vine through the chests of, like, five guys uh-huh. and starts slamming them around. He attack and he protect. This goes on so long, how did I not, like, pick up on this when I was watching it? That goes on forever. <laughs> yeah, it goes on for a while. 
but uh, Ronan walks out on some kind of little balcony thing and starts yelling that Xandar stands accused and he's gonna use the the power to destroy them all and he just sploofs right through the, the energy net with the power hammer. Yeah, the power stone blows up the energy net and destroys all the Xandar ships. Yeah. And, uh, and see, it's it also... the power stone. It's powerful. Sure, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of, you know, explosions all over the place because all these ships are blowing up. One of them kind of crashes into the, the dark Esther. Dark what, Aster. The Aster. Uh, and makes a little hole in the room where Gamora and Nebula are fighting. And Nebula ends up getting, like, tossed out through the hole and is, like, barely gripping on because, like, some pieces of space rebar are, like, cinching her hand. And Gamora's again like, sister, just join us. We can we can fight Ronan. He, you know he's crazy. And she goes, you're both crazy and cuts now, her own hand what off? What cause does she have to say that? Right? This is what I'm saying. She says, you're both crazy, cuts her own hand off, and goes flying through the air and lands on a spaceship. Uh, yeah. Flying by. Well, like, I get that she doesn't like her sister, but at this point, her actions are nonsense. Well, <laughs> Quill shoots Ronan with the big gun that Rocket made. Yeah, uh, shoots a big old missile. I thought the gag here was going to be that the gun just doesn't work, but it does work. It makes a big old explosion, and everyone's like, oh, you beat him, because they've never seen an episode of Dragon Ball Z, because they're space guys, and they don't know that if there's a big smoke cloud, it's going to clear and the bad guy's going to be fine. Uh, Why is that he is fine? What What's that? Why is he fine? I guess because he's just a real tough boy. Maybe the Power Stone, like, you know, is, is channeled through him and he can uh, survive it? I don't know. It's not the Defense Stone. <laughs> like, because what we're, like, his skin is stronger than the metal of his Warhammer? Yeah, because, like, he has a big, like, like melty part in his armor from where the, the missile hit him. Okay. So, like, it did something. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, Rocket crashes the ship into the Dark Aster, and now the whole ship's coming to the ground. Right. Right, so, yeah, he he just plows Ronan with the ship, uh, surely killing him this time. No, well, he will survive, but no, the Milano's no. dead, Yeah, and now they're all going to crash into the ground, but it's okay, because Groot, look, they start playing the music. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. They start holding the long shot, and Groot starts making a big wood ball around his friends. Yeah, I, I don't understand why they keep doing this with Groot. They played the music, Luke. <laughs> You're supposed yeah, to care. Groot makes a big old wood ball around everybody to protect them, even though it'll kill him. Right. No, because Rocket makes sure to let you know Groot right. will die. I th you know, I figured he might. <laughs> it. Okay. I did not believe for a second that Groot would actually die. Uh, I think he didn't, but then four years later, James Gunn said, actually, he did, I guess. I forgot yeah. to tell you in the movie. Well, because they've already established in this movie that he has, like, very powerful, like, regenerative abilities, you know? Right. So, yeah, I just figured, oh, it'll look like he died, but then, like, he'll regenerate from one piece, you know, kind of like when Cell explodes, but then his core survived and he comes back even more perfect. But, you right. know, like that. I don't know. This doesn't work for me. This is, uh... They they try to get you to care about this a lot, but it doesn't work for me, personally, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it doesn't... I wouldn't say it works for me, but this is another one of the points in the movie where I'm like, yeah, you're going through the motions, and, like, uh, it's it's fine. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, again... If the, it, 
Go ahead. If they at least actually, if a Groot did not regenerate in this movie, yeah, they waited till the next one. Yeah, you know, you're right, because, listen, I know they really needed that last shot of Groot that's coming up to sell some baby Groot toys. Right. Um, But you're right, it would have been way more powerful if Rocket had just gotten one of the sticks and, like, there was just a close-up of it and, like, one leaf bloomed off of it and that's all we got, you know? Right. Y- you're right, that would be way better. Or if Rocket didn't say, Groot, you'll die, because that was yeah. the moment why I knew they weren't doing it. Right, exactly. I, again, it's, it's so many times in this movie, Rocket explains things in a way that makes it seem like the movie just doesn't trust you to understand it. And for some reason, they always give those lines to Rocket. Like, his job is to hold your hand through this movie. But, yeah, the, the ship crashes, and the day's, the day's been saved. Aw, 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 dang, Ronan's Ronan's back. is still fine. He's doing fine. His armor's really good. <laughs> He's got really good armor. They should make the whole ship out of that armor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's gonna kill everyone now, because he's here, but, you know, he does a dumbass speech instead of just doing the thing. And, uh, then as he's raising up the hammer to do it, Peter all of a sudden starts dancing. And Ronan is very distracted by this. Luke, I'm so impressed that he was irreverent in front of the serious man. <laughs> I like the alternate version of the scene where Ronan starts dancing too, and they just have a dance off. Right, yeah, because he challenges him to a dance off, and you're right. It would be, it would make no sense, but it would be so wonderful if Ronan bought into it. It'd be a lot better. Yeah, and we wouldn't be so impressed at this at the, how how this man who doesn't take things seriously right. could actually accomplish the goal better than the serious man. Right. Uh. So Ronan asks him what he's doing, and he just says, "I'm distracting you, you turd blossom." The because fact that Ronan asked twice is what goes too far for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because Rocket has been repairing a gun over on the side, and he shoots Roden with it, and it works this time. No, it doesn't. Never mind. He's still around for the next bit. Oh, he shoots the Warhammer. Oh, right, right. You're right. Yes. And so then Peter grabs the stone. Yeah. And he gets sent to the Soul World. Is that what this is called? No. I mean, he has a okay. vision of, like... The yeah. creation of, of the universe or whatever. Right, yeah, as his body's being ripped apart by the Power Stone, and Gamora shouts out for him to grab her hand, and he looks over, and this is where this movie loses me. I've been a lot more patient with this movie than you have, but he looks <laughs> over and sees a vision of his mom in the, in the hospital bed reaching for his hand. Uh-huh. And like, what? Wait, what? It is like... We didn't we didn't actually write a character arc. We just thought if we showed you in some imagery from the beginning of the movie, it would seem like it bookended it and, you know, you just wouldn't think too hard about it. Right. Uh, yeah. So he takes her hand and then Drax takes his other hand and Rocket takes Drax's hand and and just like those those sages of old, they managed to channel the power of the Power Stone long enough for Gamora to use one of the Pokéballs on it. And even this moment, like, okay, I'm buying into this. I like, I'm, I'm a sucker for the power of teamwork and friendship and whatever. Right? Yeah, but I then, think I know where this is going. But then Rowan says, like, how, how, how could you contain this power? You're only mortal. Uh huh. And then <laughs> Quill says, "Set yourself, bitch. We're the guardians <laughs> of the galaxy." Yeah, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a bit much. Especially because the way they, that line that sets this line up is so awkward. Because Rowan yeah. just comes out and says, like, see what your guardians of the galaxy have wrought. Like, 
Who's who was calling them that? What the fuck are you talking about, Ronan? And like going straight from this like cloying sentimentality to the Guardians of the Galaxy, bitch. Yeah, the the bitch is 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 too much. <laughs> that yeah, Ronan gets blown up. Yeah, they they murder him with the power stone, and then yeah, put it in put it in an old pokeball, and uh, then Yondu shows up because he wants the the power stone. He wants that power rock. Right. And they're trying to convince him not to take it, but he wants it. So Quill gives him a Pokeball. And tells him, don't open it. Right, because, like, like uh, you definitely shouldn't. I mean, that is good advice. But then as they walk away, again, this movie over-explains, because Peter turns to Gamora and says, Boy, he'll be mad when he opens that up later and finds out I switched the balls. Like, you're gonna show that scene. You don't need to explain that. I don't well, know. Well, it looks time to set up the sequel. I, Just like the Winter Soldier, we can't have this movie be, like, a standalone narrative. Uh, oh, oh, right, because, yeah, now they go into some Nova Corps room where they show that Peter has just, uh, some glowing light in his belly. Yeah, he's a special boy, special genes. Right, and they find, he learns that he is not Terran, he's half Terran, because his mother was from Earth, but his father was something else. Meredith Quill X. There's also, that part of it, blah, whatever. Uh, I do like the bit when Yondu and the, the Ravagers are going away in the ship and it just cuts to them being like, you know, he turned out alright. I'm glad we didn't complete our mission to give him to his dad. That guy sucks. That, that part of this, I think, is, is, that's a good goof. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all you needed to set that sequel up, you know? Right. This, and then, again, it just over-explains. Yeah, so, see you in three years, I guess. We'll get to this. Right, so, uh, yeah, Rocket is still sad about Groot. Drax is, is scratching his ears. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just kind of time for the wrap-up, uh, as a thank you to the Guardians for, for guarding them. Uh, they have rebuilt the Milano completely, complete with the, the tape deck. It's cool that they were able to do that. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I like this little bit John C. Riley has with Rocket and Drax. Oh, he right. says, you know, he, your, your yeah. criminal records have been expunged, but don't do crimes again, because we will arrest you. Yeah. And Rocket's and, like, what if I want to take something, but it belongs to someone else? Yeah. And, well, you'll and, be arrested. But if I want it more than the person who has it, that's, uh, that's, that's still illegal. Yeah. And Gamora just like takes him away, yeah, like a misbehaving child. Yeah, no, it's it's good. And then yeah, Drax drags the joke out too much by asking what if he wants to murder somebody, and John C. Reilly has to tell him no, that's murder. I like John C.'s delivery of that's uh that's actually murder. It's one of the worst crimes of all. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like like they did the joke, and then they just do the joke again, but with Drax. Right, and then um, we get to the. The one part that actually worked on me regarding the mom subplot is the letter yeah, she wrote. Yeah, Which is the idea that he's opened the envelope before and has read this letter before, because that's where he gets the Star-Lord name from, right? No, I, I think, like, she called them that before, and uh, she included I'll, that in this letter. Okay, yeah, that that would work also. Uh, I, I, is, I like the reveal that that name is, like, his mom's, like, pet name for yeah, him. Yeah, that's good. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And then no, he, he only opens it just now, Luke, because only now okay, is yeah. he... Because he blew up the bad chromosome, he right. has finally accepted his mother's death. Right, right, right. I knew he didn't open the, the present until now. I thought maybe he had read the card before. But yeah, he finally like manages to psych himself up enough to open up this present. Uh, and it is a second mixtape. It's awesome mix volume two. 
Peter, uh, I know these last few months have been hard for you, but I'm going to a better place, and I will be okay, and I will always be with you. You are the light of my life, my precious son, my little Star-Lord. Yeah, it's it's a sweet scene. I like it. Sweet scene. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to, like, Peter just starts listening to the- Awesome the, Mix Volume 2. Awesome Mix Volume 2. We cut to Yondu opening up the orb while the Ravages are celebrating, and there's just, like, a troll doll inside, and he smiles. I like that Yondu constantly threatens to murder Peter, but seems incredibly entertained by his stupid antics. Right. Uh, then we cut to Nova... Her name's Nova Prime, is that her, like, title? Yes. Okay. Meh. First red flag. She's the leader of this government's called Nova Prime. As she puts the Power Stone into a vault, while a bunch of soldiers do a Nazi-ass salute around her. Yeah, and well, she smiles. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not okay with them having the Power Stone. They're not going to use it to restart the war. It seems like they might is the thing. Well. Uh, John C. Riley goes home to his pink wife and daughter. And he's just... We saw earlier that they were saved by Rocket Raccoon. Right, they were just like random extras in a crowd, and now we learn that no, they weren't. They were John C. Riley's family. And now all the Guardians are back on the Milano, and they're they're they also are one big family. Yeah, yeah. We I mean we talked about it before. We did skip the line where like when Yondu's walking away, Peter's like he's the only family I've ever had, and Gamora takes his hand and says, "Not anymore." Like what? Why? Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're they're all sitting on the bridge, and Star Lord says like, "Ah, what do you want to do? A little bit of good, a little bit of bad, a little bit of both." Ooh. And uh. Yeah, he decides to do a little bit of both, and they fly off. Guardians of the Galaxy will return. Yep, and then they return immediately, because Groot has a little dance to do. Yeah, Baby Groot's, Groot in his he's flower a little pot. stick, and he's back. Yeah. He's growing this all is a, up. Uh, okay, this scene is cute and funny, and yeah. I like I liked it when I watched this movie. I'm so fucking tired of Baby Groot now in 2018. Yeah, <laughs> They like really him. pushed Baby Groot for Volume 2 in the marketing. They sure did. Yeah, in a way that, like, makes me enjoy this less, but I do, I remember thinking this was very funny and cute when I first saw this movie. And the post credit scene is uh, the Collector in his vault having a drink, and Cosmo the space dog walks up and licks his face. <laughs> yeah, which, again, I like. And then, uh, then, it, it, then uh, you hear a voice say, why do you let that thing lick you? And Howard the Duck is here, just hanging out. That's a good pull. <laughs> yeah, it is a good pull. So it's, it's, it's real horse shit that it wasn't teasing a Howard the Duck movie. Yeah, they should have made a Howard the Duck the movie. I mean, have you ever seen the, the Howard the Duck movie? I've never seen Howard the Duck. I haven't either. Maybe we should do that as a bonus app. That'd be a good bonus app. <laughs> well, yeah. look, how do you feel about Guardians of the Galaxy? Okay. okay. I think my overall feeling of this movie is the script is pretty weak. Uh, they do They assume a lot of character development that they don't actually earn, but... There are genuinely entertaining moments of, like, interaction between the main cast that is enjoyable, and it is a charming movie, mostly from start to finish, with some sour notes, that managed to kind of, for me at least, it, it is charming enough that I'm willing to excuse, not excuse, but, like, not ding it as hard for its flaws as I might otherwise. It's not a great movie. It's not a movie I'm ever gonna rewatch, probably. But it's fine. It's it's okay. It's acceptable. What kind of grade would you give it? Uh, I would say it's somewhere in the B minus C plus range. Wow. Yeah. Talk talk me through what you're thinking now that we've gone uh, through it. 
I'm I'm still I might give it a D plus. Really? Yeah. Certain certainly absolutely it's worse than the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk I just remember being so bored during is the thing. And this movie I'm at least not bored even if I I'm bored at some parts. I'm bored with anything with Ronan. He's not a good bad guy. Um, remember Stanley the Pizza Man? Do you remember Stanley the Pizza Man? But I feel like you there's know no what? Stanley in this movie. There's not really. Like, Everyone's the, very mean spirited. The closest thing to a Stanley is that guy whose knife got stolen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, like I said, I, I I think because this movie is a little lighter hearted, and I would say I would say it's batting like a. 80% on the jokes. Eh, yeah, sure. 75-80% on the jokes. That's enough that, like, the fact that the plot kind of stinks and they cheat a lot with the character arcs, I'm, I'm just, I'm more okay excusing it because this movie, I don't know, it just seems like it just wants to have a fun time and it mostly manages to be a fun time. I don't know. I, I get where you're coming from with a D-plus, though, I think, if you want to expound on that a little more. I think it is a two-star film. Okay. And I'll give it a little bit of plus for being funny. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think I'm going to go C+. Plus. Oh, okay. Is it better or worse than Iron Man? Uh, man, that's tricky. Which I like because it me- I feel like that means I gave it the right grade because I don't know if it's better or worse than Iron Man. Uh, I'm going to say a little worse. A little worse than Iron Man. Yeah, I would say if Iron Man is like a 79, this is like a 78. But it is better than Iron Man 2. Yeah, it's better than Iron Man 2. And Captain America the Winter Soldier, and Thor the Dark World, and The Incredible. Yeah, it didn't make me actively angry the way Winter Soldier did. It wasn't boring the way that Thor and Hulk were. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I'd say. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm of course placing it at the very bottom of my list. That is... The idea that you would put this movie below Thor 2, the, the idea that you'd put any movie we've seen so far below Thor 2, is fucking bonkers. Thor, Thor's middle of the list, right where it belongs. It is so boring. It's a good, it's a good film. There's like 15 minutes of good movie in there. Good movie. <laughs> no, it's not. It is. <laughs> wow, well, well, I guess it had to happen eventually that I would like a movie that you don't. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's it's weird. We've we've really stepped into a different uh, different world on this one. Mm-hmm. Do we have any any questions to talk about, Crystal? Yeah, let me bring up the questions. All post. right, you can of course uh, send questions to mcucompleteme at gmail or just follow Crystal on Twitter at arcane crystal, and uh, she'll put out calls for question posts there. Would you go ahead and read a question? Uh, well, that would uh, let me see here. Uh, let's see. Uh. Sirius Tiberius asks, other than Taika, who do you think would be a good director for Guardians? Place the Chris's. Personality, hotness, comedic timing, apt acting ability, FMK? What's FMK? Fuck Mary Kill. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, okay. Who would be a good director for Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Hmm. So yeah, not I guess we, James Gunn. yeah, we didn't really touch on the James Gunn shit. I feel like that kind of, you know, everyone knows what happened. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't, hmm. Who do you think? Yeah, I don't really know. Either. Yeah. My first, like, gut check answer was, like, uh, just, I like The Incredibles, and that's a similar thing. It's, oh, it's this group of people that's got to come together. That's a little different. So, I don't know, Brad Bird, he could probably do it pretty good. Sure, Brad Bird. Sure. There you go. <laughs> well, how do you how do you rank the Chris's? Uh, as far as FMK, I would, hmm. 
I guess, who are the three Chris's? Well, you got Chris Evans, Captain America, Chris Hemsworth, Thor, and Chris Pratt, Star-Lord. Okay, is, is Pine not a canonical Chris? Chris? Uh, wait, who's Chris Pine playing in the Marvel He universe? plays uh, Captain Kirk. Okay, well, until he crosses over into the MCU, I'm going to say no, he's not canonical. Uh, I mean, I don't really know any of the Chris's that well. I guess F, F, Evans, uh-huh. M, Hemsworth, mm-hmm. K, Pratt. Yeah, see, I, I mean, yeah, I guess it goes without saying we don't know the Chris's. If we're going by their characters, I think I agree with you. One thing I'm real bummed about, I was a big Parks and Recreation fan, and I'm worried that it maybe is not as good to go back to now, but Chris Pratt is so funny on that show, he's a really great comedic actor, and then he got real big as, like, a serious action guy, and Guardians of the Galaxy feels like the only comedic role he does anymore, and it really bums me out, because I like him as a comedian. Um, I guess... I, ugh, I guess F... Hemsworth, M. Pratt, K. Evans, but like, I don't want to kill Chris Evans. He seems like a nice man. Well, don't. All right, I won't. Okay. <laughs> what else we got? Chelsea asks, "Why is it the fucking vest?" Wait, I know it's a soundtrack. Never mind. Well, Chelsea, neither of us agree with you. <laughs> I mean, listen again. I kind of, I kind of ragged on the soundtrack, but again, like they pick these songs for a reason. People like them. They're good songs. Sure. They are good songs. Yeah, but it's... I, I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. I'm sorry, Chelsea. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Dory Mingu asks, Is the soundtrack fun for you when you watched it? Uh, they seemed to make it a big part of the movie and was never sure if that was good or bad. I think the soundtrack is fun in this movie. I do feel like they lean on it a little too hard because it's part of their... It's one of the ways they try to just make this movie feel like quirky and irreverent, like you were saying, like... Just fill it with a bunch of, like, needle drops that are incongruent with what's going on on screen, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, again, like, it works, but it feels kind of like a cheap trick. Right. Just because they do it so much. And they try to tie it in and, like, make it a character thing. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm of two minds on it. Jasmine asks... Sue the Mouse asks, where the <laughs> hell is Thanos' island floating in space? Which ship in the movie would you want to fly? Mm. Uh, he's just, you know, he's on a space rock. It seems like he's got, you know, teleportation, like, uh, powers or some shit, so, you know, why not be in a cool rock in space? I think- which ship, in- which ship do you want to fly? Uh, I-, I think flying those little mining ships would be kind of fun. I don't really like any of the ships in this movie. No, I, I kind of like them. I, I like the, uh, the Novacore ships, too. They look kind of neat. I like how oh, all hey. the Novacore shit just looks like the Nova logo, that weird, like, gold star thing. Yeah. Like, like the ships do, and, like, when they trap them in a force field when they're arresting them, that looks like it. Yeah. I don't know. What about what about you? I guess I'd fly the Milano. All right. <coughs> Sorry. Queen uh, Poppy Rue asks, what other wrestlers would make strong aliens to join the team? Wait, say that again? What other wrestlers would make strong aliens to join the team? I don't I don't know wrestling that good, do you? No. And I, I don't want to say a name because I don't know which one people like and which one people don't like. Yeah, I don't know which ones are, like, racist uh, and flat earthers, so... Yeah, um... Because it's more than zero of them. Now I just can't think of any. Yeah. I think I think people like Kenny Omega? I don't... Uh, sure, let's go with him. Ke- Kenny Omega. Kenneth Omega. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Cameron asks, what do y'all think of that incidental shot where the inmate cries over what appears to be a video message from a loved one? It's heartbreaking. It's, it's a weird scene to include in this movie. 
Uh-huh. It seems like it's not, like, consistent with the tone this movie's shooting for. Ashley asks, this isn't a question, but once I went to the movies to help cheer up my cousins whose mom had just died from cancer, and they almost went to see this movie, and that was a bullet dodged. Yeah, that wouldn't have been great. That seems like it might have been, might have been a rough time. It might have been a rough time. Yeah. Hunter Carr asks, what do you think about the fact that this movie confirms that Gamora is the last of her people, and the fact that they seem to want you to forget that for Infinity War? Now, correction, they don't say that she's the last of her people in the film. They did say so in supplementary material, which has since been stricken from the canon. Correction, you are wrong, Crystal. It does in fact say in Gamora's criminal record in the film that she is the last of the Zihovari. All right, then. Yeah, she, she just says that her parents got killed. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Evan asks, do you think this movie has a distinct enough personality from the other Marvel movies up to this point? Um, pff, see, I want to say yes, but then I'm having to think, do I just think that because of all the needle drops in the soundtrack? And I think that might be the case. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I don't know, it, it, it feels, I, I think it does an okay job of threading the needle of feeling a little distinct while still being part of that whole thing. It does, it, it does, a, it does an okay job at it. Yeah. Uh, Enion asks, where are the space girlfriends? Ain't none. I mean, in space, probably. There's none of them in this movie. Yeah, not really. You can check out all the grades at bit.ly slash marvelgpa. Been a yep. been a little kind of a rough stretch here the last few. Been all in the C range after a good stretch of B's from Thor to Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's what's their GPA for the semester shaping up to be? The total GPA so far is two point three five. That is that is not great. Uh, what do we have left in in like season two of MCU or whatever it's called? The next Cycle two films two. of Phase Two are Phase Two. There we Avengers, go. Avengers: Age of Ultron. Shh. Shit, we're at Ultron? Yeah. Oh, no. And then Ant-Man. God damn it. Luke, we're halfway through all of the released MCU films. Yeah, that's that's crazy to think about, but right now I'm just upset that I have to watch Ultron in the next week. Yeah, well, do it. Uh, I will, but I won't be happy about it. You have anything to plug, Luke? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SSJ Speed Racer. You can uh, find a bunch of shows I do over in AudioEntropy.com, like uh, Totally Reprise, which is a rewatch podcast for the cartoon Totally Spies, or uh, Let's Place, a video game podcast where we rank video games. Uh, Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Central, you can go to bit.ly slash silverpines, and you can watch Silver Pines, which is an RPG that I GM for a bunch of Audio Entropy folks, and it's a good fun time. What about you, Crystal? At Arcane Crystal. Alrighty, you don't want to talk about the Book of Medora, the Zelda lore podcast? Are you, I mean, you can talk about it if you want. I mean, I just did. Okay, yeah, let's do that. You just started doing Skyward Sword. Yeah, I started doing Skyward Sword. That's the best little game ever made. <laughs> do you have, like, a Guardians of the Galaxy joke to get us out of here with? Yeah, this comes from quickfunnyjokes.com. Okay. What do you call the security guards who work at the Samsung store? I don't want to... I know what the punchline is, and I don't want to... If I don't if I don't acknowledge what you just said, you can't say it. Well, then also the podcast will end. That's right. We can just sit here and rot to death instead of... What do you... What do you call the security guard at Samsung store? Guardians of the Samsung Galaxy S8. No, they're at 9. <laughs> Alright, let's, let's go. <laughs>
mortal! How? Set it yourself, bitch. We're the guardians of the galaxy.